Welcome to Awaken to Sleep Education. All right. These two guys, uh, if you've ever heard either of them speak, they need no introduction. On the off chance that you have just entered sleep and this is your first webinar ever, it is downhill from here. I will start with Dr. Mark Murphy. Uh, he's been a practicing dentist for a couple a long of time. Just say a long time. Long time. <laughs> we're going to go with, I think we're going to go with generalities uh, on a lot of things tonight. Uh, he moved from general dentistry into exclusively sleep, uh, treating sleep patients, and specifically on our topic tonight, patients referred by local physicians, building those trusted relationships, and has been doing that for many years. Uh, on the opposite side of that coin, we have Dr. Eddie Saul, hailing from Syracuse, New York. It's a beautiful place, two months out of the year. Um, <laughs> Usually one or, good, uh, one or two good weekends a year here. One or two good weekends and gorgeous colors that people can take pictures of and look at all year long when it doesn't look like that. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Eddie has been uh, a lot of things in life. I will actually let him explain that. Uh, but he is a licensed physician, dentist, and also has an MBA. So we kind of we kind of joke that he's just not the attorney. He already said that earlier tonight. Uh, but we got some great depth of knowledge here tonight for you all. So uh, without further ado, we're going to do this Q&A style. I'm going to move to a slide. We're going to take the physician perspective and the dental perspective and really see how we can marry those. Uh, we've got plenty of questions on slides, but again, you guys, if uh, if you're hailing in here, I see Dr. Jeff Fritz, aka Brad Farley. Oh my gosh, that's a story for another day. Um, uh, Terry as well uh, from Indianapolis. Y'all, if you have questions, let us know. Shoot them in the Q and A. I'm not going to keep pounding you for that, but if we ask you a question, I'm going to pound you to put it in the chat because I know you can do it now. Uh, all right, guys. That was the most informal introduction you've probably had. Uh, Mark or Eddie, would you like uh, to defend yourself up to this point? No, I, I'm sorry. Are we live now? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 my bad. My bad. Okay. <laughs> no, this is take 28. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we're live. <laughs> okay, I'm good. I'm good. Well, All right. uh, if I could just start saying a few things. Um, you know, uh, this field is very interesting how it's evolved over the last 20 years. And, you know, certainly we've all lived it through the, um, you know, the growth of companies like your, your own here. And I think what we're all trying to do is just uh, treat patients more effectively, more efficiently and establish communication. And, you know, I think what's frustrating for, uh, I assume most of the people that have logged into the webinar are dentists, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so most of uh, the dentists, what they want to do simply is treat their patients. And uh, I think the hurdles and the challenges, we all know about them. And then the, the real question is, how do, how, do we, um, how do we go over those hurdles? What, what things can we do and how do we establish uh, communication? And, um, you know, I saw when I first started doing this and because of my background being both a dentist and a physician, I'm in kind of a unique situation in that I don't necessarily have a lot of the same struggles that a lot of the dentists have. And I'll give you an example of that is if a patient is comes into my office, being a board certified sleep physician, I can order a sleep study, I can interpret it, 
I can uh, provide treatment and I don't get caught up in the loop of screening a patient, sending it to the physician and not getting the, phys the physician to send the patient back, which I'm sure is one of the most frustrating things yeah. that happens to all of us that practice dental sleep medicine. So in some ways, I've been insulated from some of the challenges that all of you have, but certainly I have ideas on how these can be um, uh, approached. And yeah. so maybe we can do it through the format of the questions, however you want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate that context, Eddie. And I think it's important. Um, I think probably one of the biggest take-homes that the three of us primarily you guys can offer tonight to the audience is exactly what you said, where you started off. We need to create pathways of good communication between dentists and physicians and physicians and dentists back and forth for the purpose of treating more people, because that's the end goal. And the, the emotions, the details, the obstructions that have been in the obstructions, pardon the pun there, uh, obstacles that are in the process of creating those is it's just worth overcoming them for the multidisciplinary collaborative approach to care. Um, anyway, that, that is, that was the fancier way of saying exactly what you did. We need to work more with MDs. Our audience tonight is dentists, sleep champions, folks that are absolutely wanting to know more how to work with their MD counterparts. Yeah. All right. Let's hop into question number one. So we got, uh, we took, Thank God for AI. You guys, we had like a close to 200 questions, <laughs> uh, you know, one or more from every single person who registered. So thank you all for your contribution. Uh, now that we have a ton of content, we had to use AI to analyze the commonalities in all your questions and boil it down to like eight. So we've done a few here where we've got a physician asking Eddie, you as an MD in that perspective, and then Mark simultaneously on the similar topic, you know, from your perspective. So Eddie, I'll start with you. Uh, the top question, you are doing a lot of the treatment as you shared yourself, but when you are, when you've worked with an outside dentist, or you've discussed this with other sleep physicians that are your colleagues, sure. what are the top things that they are looking for in that dental counterpart? that they want to see when they refer out for MADs? Um, you know, that's a great question. And I think uh, I go back to an article that was in Sleep Review. Uh, I think it was in 2016, I believe. Mark, I'm sure Mark's familiar with it as well. And it was the top 10 reasons uh, why um, uh, physicians were reluctant to send uh, patients to dentists. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, when you look at some of the reasons, one is, they wanted to know, um, uh, they were concerned about, of course, efficacy, you know, because a lot of physicians have the mindset that oral appliances don't work, okay? Or if they work, they don't work predictably. So I think that when physicians, I mean, I see this every day in my office um, where a patient has come from a pulmonologist and now I'm having the role, let's say, as a dentist because I'm going to provide oral appliance therapy. And they saw somebody in the um, clinic at the pulmonology clinic. It might've been a PA nurse practitioner or the physician. Chances are it wasn't the physician. It was an extender who tells the patient, oh, you can't have an oral appliance. It's not going to work. So I think that um, we, a lot of physicians have the mindset 
still in this day and age, I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely incredible that physicians who are sleep physicians could actually think this way that oral appliances don't work. So, you know, I think that um, that's one of their concerns. There's concerns about, and I'm sure Mark will talk about this, side effects. You know, um, a lot of physicians, maybe they had a patient here and there that had a TMJ problem or had a, a bite change or had some dentally related um, uh, side effect. And so that can color their opinion. Another thing they often say is, they're concerned about is, and we all know this, everybody here that's on this webinar, is the dentist in the um, a network or not? Because a lot of physicians get very concerned when they have a patient, they send it to the dentist and the dentist is unwilling to take their insurance. And so then that physician is gonna say, well, you know, I don't know if I can use this dentist anymore because he or she is not willing to work with insurance companies. Right. So if you, you know, just summarizing the efficacy, um, the, the side effects, the, their perception of it, uh, whether or not they're in network and also, and the predictability of the appliance. And, you know, Mark has lectured extensively about this, you know, versus the legacy appliances versus precision oral appliances and, and how, you know, um, we've developed data uh, to show how efficacious the oral appliances actually are. And, and I think physicians, a lot of them just don't know that, you know. Uh, the other thing is not necessarily from the physician, but patients are never told of the option of oral appliance therapy. It's never entered into the discussion. And sometimes the way they find out about an oral appliance as a treatment modality is from a friend, a family member, whatever. Right. So, you know, I would think those are, um, and, and then the other thing is, uh, I think too, uh, you know, after the patient sent to the dentist, a lot of the sleep physicians want to see the patient back and manage the, the, um, uh, the, um, uh, condition. And, you know, dentists will often do efficacy tests, which I think they should quite frankly. And, yeah. um, then, uh, what happens is, uh, the physician, it's the communication. I would say yeah. in that respect. So yeah. I would throw those out as the, you know, top five things. Uh, I know there were 10 in the article. I don't have the article in front of me, but <laughs> those are the major ones. Well, well, I mean, Hey, you know, truth be told, I'm asking Brooke to post the link to that fancy article yeah. you referenced if she yeah. can find it, but you just recited the first half. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, I've given the lecture a bunch of times. Yeah. I, I have a slide. I can, uh, yeah. I can share it with everybody for sure. Okay. Awesome. I, Eddie, I think it's, it's interesting how you just said they don't patients in general do not hear about this recommendation from their physician. They get a test, they try CPAP and they hear about it from a friend or a family member, which makes sense. Dentists, if you're listening, which makes sense why your patients are, com they're comparing you, what you do to an Amazon Z quiet, because if their friends talk to them, where do they look, where they buy stuff? All right, Mark, dental side of the same question. Eddie just laid out half the article. <laughs> uh, you can be as, as in-depth or you know shorter, but as a sleep dentist yeah. who successfully worked with docs, how'd you position your practice and what you do in a way that starts checking those boxes? So, so Eddie's right on in terms of, uh, you know, and you mentioned it with the comparison to over-the-counter solutions. If we look back just a few years, 
the solutions that we had in oral appliance therapy were very poor. A lot of side effects, excessive protrusion, a lot of bulk side effects, pain, discomfort. Uh, they didn't have very good efficacy or compliance. So with precision oral appliances, that's all changed, and that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, to, to Eddie's point, the side effects are important, but so are insurance coverages. And so if dentists are um, setting themselves up as uh, cash payments for $2,500 or $3,500 a device, um, long-term, that's not going to be a successful strategy because physicians want um, their patients to be under the medical coverage. And so it's okay for a dentist to set up a program where they're starting in dental state medicine and they decide that they just want to do cash for right now because they haven't figured out the medical insurance billing. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But that can't go on for 12 months. That can go on for three or six months while they're figuring out how to do oral appliance therapy. But once they figure that out, the insurance component and using better devices are a strategy um, to embracing the relationship that you want to have with with uh, with uh, physicians that are board certified in sleep, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, Mark. Um, I mean, we've seen such a tremendous influx of people, uh, independent dental owner operators. So, you know, the independent dentist that says, I can't do medical billing and sleep at the same time. I got to do one. Let's figure it out. I and totally so get that. They start that way, but I mean, in, in our coaching, one of the things that we say is, look, it, it's not a hard out-of-bounds line. There are some exceptions, but in general, if you're going to go outside the four walls of your practice to get referrals from physicians, the if you go to a cardiologist and they refer you to an ENT and that person is a boutique practice, you expect to know that before you walk in the door. It's going to be cash up front. It's going to be a membership. This is what it looks like. That's a very uncommon thing in medicine. Absolutely. So that outside the four walls, we've got to have the medical insurance conversation. And if that's not part of the program, that needs to be something. It's a lever that gets pulled in this process. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one. Uh, I'd rather keep your faces big. I'll do respect because our slides all look the same with different words. So I'll just uh, <laughs> I'll just read appropriately. Okay. Um, Eddie, for you, um, could you share an, a, an example, uh, since you're, you are a good storyteller, um, <laughs> when you changed- You mean bullshitter? You mean bullshitter? <laughs> no, I, hey, man, I'm, I'm trying to be PC on this thing. No. I play golf with this guy. <laughs> when, when do you see the shift happen? My, uh, your shift happened to this from CPAP only to oral appliances early. Like, I know you're an early adopter with this. Like, you saw this coming and you shifted to that very early on. But for from a colleague standpoint, what do you see are the, the core reasons or when do the sleep physicians that have a lot of these patients in, when do they shift that mindset from never referring oral appliances or working with dentists to you seeing them successfully work with a dentist? You know, that's a hard question to answer, and I'll tell you why is because things in medicine change very slowly. And um, I was um, uh, in London on June 7th, I gave a talk to the Royal Society of Medicine. And what they looked at is they presented what was the evidence for oral appliance therapy, hypoglossal nerve stimulation, 
uh, and you know, primarily those two modalities and, and myofunctional therapy and, and things of that nature. And the reality is, is that a lot of physicians who are very academic, let's say an academic physician, they're going to have in their mindset, they want to see peer-reviewed controlled studies showing uh, um, data uh, for why they should use an alternative treatment with respect to CPAP. So that's the academic physician. Then you have the physician that's in private practice. And I think most of them, you know, they don't live in this fairy tale world. And, you know, they're the ones that, you know, a lot of people in the academic centers, they write papers, they do all sorts of things. They see very few patients actually when it comes right down to it. But when you're in the trenches in private practice, yeah. um, I think that uh, providing that you really care about what uh, happens to your patients, then you're going to see the failures. And it's up to you to determine what do you do with the patient? I mean, we know uh, that, you know, in the 42 years that uh, CPAP has been around, the compliance or adherence has not really changed despite all the uh, technological advances, quieter machines, easier to clean, et cetera. And this is before the, um, you know, the recall of the Phillips machines. I mean, the, the statistics haven't really changed. That being said, I think that um, a lot of uh, us just do things the way we always have done them. And we're creatures of habit. And I think that um, probably the best way to break down that barrier is the dentist who is treating a patient with oral appliance therapy, uh, sending a letter, contacting the physician, sending an email, showing what the results are, and you know, just over and over and over again. And I think that unless you're not looking at these things. The physician has got to say to themselves, hey, you know, maybe I shouldn't be using CPAP on everybody. And yeah. I think, you know, the problem is sometimes patients are made to feel like it's their fault. And, you know, they go through three, four or five different masks. And I guess I would ask uh, a physician, you know, why aren't you willing to try something different? This has been working, you know, and is it better off to um, uh, keep trying to push CPAP literally down somebody's throat if they're not going to use it. And, um, but I think probably one of the big issues is in a lot of groups are big groups and the physicians may not see the patients. They, they delegate it out to um, a PA or a nurse practitioner. And often, you know, they may be told what to do. They're busy. They come in and they don't really discuss options with patients. It's sad because the reality is, is all the sleep studies will show all the various things that were discussed. And yep. uh, Mark knows, and we all know, they didn't discuss all those things. It's just spit out <laughs> through the, uh, you know, the EMR, you know, all the various things. So, yeah. you know, uh, I think that there are clearly physicians that are oral appliance friendly and physicians that are oral appliance skeptical. And yep. so the, the issue is, is if you can convert that skeptical to a friendly one, then you've, you know, th that's how you move the needle. And uh, I guess you got to do it with some results, relationships that you build. And, you know, some, some physicians are going to be open to it and some, you know, are just going to be closed-minded. And, and that's a challenge breaking through the closed-minded physician. Yeah. Results, relationship, and research. Right. Wow, that's a three-point sermon on how to get more uh, 
sleep apnea patients from MDs. Mark, can you tell us a uh, similar vein, slightly different question? Um, you've converted a lot of those skeptics over time. Yeah. Tell us how, so, maybe give us yeah. a good story. <laughs> so, so I think I, I, I think there's the old and then there's the new. And so when you look at the old, look at old devices, old appliances, old construction techniques, old, old manufacturing. It's what we had. It's all we had. And then we look at today, you say we can do things differently. And whether that's automobile safety or cell phones, anything, it doesn't matter. And so with oral appliance therapy, we have smaller devices that are more precise, better results, better efficacy, better adherence, and data and studies that show that. So <clears throat> having discussions with physicians, and Eddie can tell you, if I come in and I say, I can do this, I can do that, he doesn't care. If I say, here's the studies, here's the data, here's the science, Eddie will listen. And so the critical issue is not just saying that you can do it, but proving with science mm -hmm. and studies, uh, data and interpretation and analysis that you can. And, and I think that's been really successful for precision appliance therapy, which has been great. Cool. Okay. Um, Dr. Eddie, if Dr. Mark is trying to give you research articles, how do, how do you want to receive those? Is it printed? Is it faxed? Is it emailed? Is it like, I mean, hmm. as, as a busy physician. That's a great question. You see a ton of patients. So how do they actually do this in a way that's effective? Well, I think, uh, you know, there's going to be a, some uh, difference of opinion in how, how diff different physicians would like this. Um, you know, we all use email, but quite frankly, um, you get an email with a link to an article and you're busy, you may never even open it up and look at it. Okay. So, um, probably, uh, I think one of the best things would be is, you know, a one page abstract of the article, a summary of it, and maybe you print it up, get it laminated and drop it off at the physician's office. Maybe the rep from one of the appliance companies uh, does a lunch and learn and hands out um, you know, two or three different studies or posters that we've done uh, in, in the various uh, scientific meetings. Um, you know, pictures go a long way and pictures, a few diagrams, a few graphs. Uh, I think that you know, the problem is we're all busy you know, and you're just bombarded with information from every aspect, every part of your life. So maybe uh, a few uh, summary uh, papers, one page, you know, one or two diagrams, pictures, uh, some of the data, the results, you know, and uh, I think that would be the most successful. Do you uh, agree with that, Mark? Or? You know, I do. I think that, um, what our sales rep have found is that they have to make multiple calls, two, three, five, seven, to a medical practice before they can get some time with the uh, decision makers. And so all of those visits, notwithstanding, at some point in time, they need a, a five or six or seven or, or 25 slide deck that they can present in 10 minutes or 30 minutes during a lunch and learn. Yep. And so it's a question of, can they, can they pack, 
Can they peck at Eddie's office? Can they peck at Eddie and get his attention by saying, hey, we've got a different, we get a different device, we got a different response, we got a different efficacy, we got different adherence. So that Eddie will say, well, tell me more about that. And yep. finally he gives them 10 or 15 minutes, or he gives them a half an hour and they can buy lunch. And that's when our reps go in and they can present that information. And the data is compelling. The data is compelling. But to Eddie's point, it's about getting the access to Eddie. Yep. Not the data. The data is compelling. It's getting access to Eddie. Yep. And so that's where a sales rep still has to have some savvy and some, yep. you know, provenance to be able to do that. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll add, I was that sales rep for- Yeah, you were. CPAP. CPAP world for sure. And CPAP and, uh, you know, building new sleep centers, banging on doors, trying to get, you know, two minutes of time. Everybody knows where they stand to do pharma rep samples for two minutes in between yeah. patients. So uh, I, I would add too to what these guys have shared. This is not your job as the dentist. <laughs> Unless you're in a sleep only practice and you've got more time than patients. If you're running a GP mm -hmm. office and a sleep business, you don't have time to breathe. So you can't peck away at every single office three, five, seven times like what Mark said. So having a team member that understands what they can say, how to say it, what they're dropping off and what they're asking for in that lunch and learn, like what Mark shared. And then you showing up, obviously, for that uh, is, is going to be pretty pivotal. So I like the one, uh, one sheet laminated as well. I need to. Maybe even a post-it note for those of us that are right. old school, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I think can work, and it's been done, and, and this is not anything new, is that uh, very often the physician, he or she may have obstructive sleep apnea themselves. And, you know, if, if you're trying to really um, move the needle in that particular sleep practice to refer to the dentist, uh, you know, certainly... Uh, offering to make an appliance for the physician. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, uh, more than likely, they're going to get a good result. And, and that's going to support them. that for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And th that's a very powerful uh, way to grow a practice. It's interesting is, you know, the people that I know around the country who have dental sleep medicine practice only, um, and, you know, there's a number of people and there's a lot of people that would like to get to that status. Uh, they've all figured out over a period of time how to generate the referrals, how to run the dental sleep medicine practice. They often start with doing, you know, dentistry and some dental sleep medicine, doing it on certain days, mix it in. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if the dental sleep medicine portion of the practice grows, um, they really have to concentrate on that. But it's interesting, uh, the people that, and we all know a lot of these people that have, that have been successful in that, it's taken them some time. And, you know, they have gone out there and um, met with physicians, done lunch and learns, um, uh, spoke with them, provided letters. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it takes time in the trenches uh, to do that. And I think when the physician knows you're sincere, you know, it, it's just like when I work with a resident, if a resident wants to uh, learn a particular procedure, well, you know, they should come in and read about it and put a lot of effort into it, you know, and uh, if they just show up and haven't put much effort on it, you're, you're not going to be as serious about helping them. And I think from the dentist perspective, when the physician knows the dentist 
is uh, sincere and really committed to treating their patients, uh, they'll understand that and, and that will build a good relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, Rash P, you had a question. Uh, Mark gave an answer. And I also wanted to tag into it. You had talked about having patients that need an RX for neural appliance and you can't get that from the local sleep doc and they're part of a big group. Um, I want to hit the which doctors you're calling on and working with and just understanding the different anatomy of those offices. Uh, Eddie mentioned this earlier and we didn't actually get deep into this topic. But if you're dealing with an academic physician who rarely sees patients and does a lot of research, there's a different way to speak to that person. And that's not by referring them patients, right? It's going to be through that vein of research. So he talked about that. But understanding the medical landscape, most of medicine today, the majority is corporately owned, typically by large groups, hospital groups, national groups. So physicians are highly skilled and trained employees of a larger group that has protocols on how patients flow, which specialists they can work with in or out of that group, not only in or out of network for insurance. Those are two totally different things. So if you're working with a busy sleep doctor, a busy ENT in a corporate group, and they're maxed, the last thing you want to do is tell them, I can send you patients because they're going to kick you out the back door, <laughs> right? I mean, respectfully, we all want to treat more people and help more people. But if you, they're overwhelmed with volume, speak to that pain and offer what you do in your lane as the triage point. You can be this. Here's how you make their referral to you simple. And here's the way that you're going to communicate back in a simple format. Folks that are trying to grow their practice and they still own that business, sending them patients and reciprocating as you do great work. I'm going to send you the patients in this category. How do you want to receive it? That's going to be a huge help. So Rash P, thanks for the question. I know that was a slight deviation from your main point, but knowing who we're calling on is important. No different than if people are calling on you in your practice, they've got to know who you are and what you need, what you want to make your practice run and treat more patients. Uh, one thing uh, I'd like to add, if I could, is that, uh, I think uh, sleep dentists uh, building relationships with ENT doctors or otolaryngologists is a very fruitful avenue for growing your practice. And um, the reason being is that, uh, as we know, uh, patients who have uh, obstructive sleep apnea or candidates for an oral appliance or CPAP need good nasal airway flow. And yeah. if they have nasal obstructive issues, uh, then the results are going to be compromised. So I think that um, uh, if you're in a general dentistry practice, let's say, and you're screening your own patient, and during that process, um, you ask questions about nasal obstruction, send them to the ENT doctor. The ENT doctor may address that either medically or surgically, and then uh, would more than likely um, uh, send you the patient back for your oral appliance therapy. And I think that's, you know, um, uh, there's a procedure called the Viver, which is for the uh, radio frequency procedure for um, uh, the nasal valve. And uh, in fact, I did three of them today. But anyway, um, they, uh, that company, Aaron Medical, has recognized the relationship between oral appliance therapy and nasal obstruction. And I think that um, 
there's nothing better than sending a patient to a physician and that physician, you know, now gets some type of treatment or procedure and that, you know, both people benefit. The ultimate thing is the patient benefits and gets a better result. And uh, there's about 300 board certified sleep physicians in ENT around the country. And not all ENT doctors deal with airway issues, but uh, I mean, deal with sleep medicine. They all deal with airway issues. So I think that's a very good um, uh, population for the sleep dentist to target uh, in building their practice. Yeah, that's a great point. And it, it's well received given that you did three of those procedures today and you happen to be that particular specialty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's not a generalized statement, people. Work with your ENTs. <laughs> Coming from an ENT sleep specialist is a lot of common ground. Well, let me just tell you about one patient today that I uh, did a telemedicine consultation on who didn't want to wear a CPAP, had severe obstructive sleep apnea. And so what I ended up doing is about six, eight months ago, I took her tonsils out and um, then I did a nasal procedure on her. Now she's a good candidate for oral appliance therapy before she was not. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's holistic care. It's not competitive care. Right. I, to that, that, that was, you started that in the beginning, right? It's, we've got to treat the whole person and at different stages, people are going to be ready for an oral appliance or not. And knowing how we integrate together is, is the crucial component. Michael, I've heard you lecture so many times. Uh, we've lectured together so many times. And every time you always say, it's not about what do I sell? It's about what's right for the patient. Right. And sometimes that's what I sell and sometimes it's not. And that's fine. And yep. uh, you'll go far by just making sure that you treat the patient correctly. Appreciate yep. it. Yeah. On point, you guys. Yep. Like and like. All right, Mark, I'm going to start with you on this one. Ooh, okay. Uh, patient <laughs> success stories. Yeah. Obviously happen when you're using, you're doing good work with good appliances, all the things, right? You got a patient who's like singing the praises, like Fiddler on the Roof. How do you package that and put a bow on top so that you can capture that success story and use that as part of your communication with MDs? How do you do yeah, that? Great question, Michael. I, I appreciate that. So um, we developed a long time ago, we developed a thing called a registry. Uh, list of patients by number, by patient identification number, second column, um, HI pre, HI uh, post, uh, BMI, age, et cetera. So it's a lot of data on the patients that we've already captured in our software. Mm -hmm. um, we pull that out um, quarterly. So it's 25 or 30 patients. And I drop that off at my local physicians so they can see, and, and they know that some of their patients are in that list. Might be two, might be 10. Doesn't matter. They just know that some of the patients are in that list. And here's the overall results of this patient population. Eddie and I have used the same sort of data for uh, studies that we've done that we've worked on together, where we've looked retrospectively at groups of or populations of patients and how well they've responded to oral appliance therapy, how much dose we took, how much mandibular advancement was in place, how far we had to take them to get them into therapy, how many side effects we experienced, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, um, it's rewarding when they look at a group of 50, um, 25, 50, and say, wow, this is 90% uh, or 
and he always likes to beat me by one or two. I think he lies, cheats, <laughs> and steals. But that's a different issue. I can't it's all fix the inclusion that. criteria. Exactly. I, I can't fix it here. But he always beats me. But but he's treating their nose and then their airway, so I don't have that opportunity. Um, so, uh, you know, we get 90 or 92% oral, uh, oral appliance efficacy for mild to moderates and 80% if we include severes. And that's outstanding. And they, they see that and they're like, wow. And uh, and it's 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 in a package where there's one of my cards on top, and I've asked for some more of their cards so that I can uh, refer more patients to them because you always want to make sure that the conversation, you know, as you know, a lot of people have gone before us have told us that what's in it for you, not what's in it for me. Yeah, you know, that's that's a radio station everybody's listening to, but that registry has been just a huge um, asset for us and many other dentists to communicate with their patients how successful our appliance therapy has been. Got it. Awesome. Eddie, how, um, as, as a physician who's receiving that information, obviously you guys are competing on this, but let, let's say you weren't creating your own <laughs> registry to compete with, you know, Marky Mark in Michigan. It's not a competition. He just flat out wins. <laughs> it's only a race when, when there's competition. No. I know. Exactly. That's what I think. But I mean, as, as the busy physician, you know, Mark's got this great data set of all these wonderful cases and he's honest with it. And he's got, here's the pre and post, here's the BMI. And there's no HIPAA issue because of the patient number. That's right. point of clarity for everybody listening to this. You're not sending all your patient names out there. But Eddie, when you get something like this, does that compel you? Does it initiate a conversation? What What's the outcome from something like that? Or maybe a better question is, how can these referring, these dentists that are seeking these relationships, they're trying to create that bridge. How could they use information like this to help start that conversation or continue it to be more collaborative? Okay. Well, for me personally, um, because I am a dentist in addition to a physician in dual oral appliance therapy, I don't have to be compelled because um, I um, utilize oral appliance therapy. Um, the high majority of the patients that I uh, see and treat. And then there are patients that are referred to me specifically for that. So let's pretend that that didn't happen in my office. And I was a physician, sleep physician, who um, uh, didn't do oral appliance therapy, wasn't a dentist. How would I look at the information? Uh, I guess um, uh, when you have information like that, uh, providing that you're willing to read it and look at it. It's right. very compelling, you know, and I think that's why um, maybe uh, one page bullet point, uh, here's the results on mild, here's the results on moderate, severe, here's the patients, you know, you look at that and unless you're not forward thinking and honest with yourself as a physician, you have to be compelled to. Um, mm -hmm. Um, to utilize that form of uh, treatment. And uh, at least that's the way I would look at it. And yeah. I, I think the problem is, is that um, a lot of physicians are busy. They're delegating a lot of the work to um, physician extenders. And uh, they're not really looking at things that carefully because they're busy. I mean, yeah. that's what I think. And then they have their own mindset that oral appliances don't work. and um, uh, I guess the more data you show them, 
uh, without, you know, you can't go into a 45 minute lecture. Then, I mean, you have no chance of that being successful. Right. Yep. Um, but um, I think too, um, maybe just writing a note, uh, because how many times you've heard this marker, uh, oh, that patient has severe sleep apnea. They're not a candidate for an oral appliance. Yep. And so you treat a patient and you have a great result and you send them a note here and here's what happened with this patient. And um, that's got to raise some eyebrows uh, and, and make them think, wow, it can really work on somebody like that. Yeah. So I guess it's the communication, but having the communication be in a form that, uh, you know, you just get a really short window of attention from yeah. uh, a lot of physicians. Uh, except me, I pay attention, <laughs> but no, you get a short window of, of, of time and it's very hard. That's why you, it's got to be very concise to the point and uh, almost like a playing card, you know, it could be a, a, even smaller. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you keep hitting this home pretty hard. Uh, folks, we don't have a lot of attention span with MD. <laughs> you don't have a relationship it's true, though. with Yeah. Right. I, I, we, we got to know that. I mean, respectfully, the pharma reps and the med device reps, they know this and they own it. And they're, they're, they're walking the device. I mean, Mark, you talked about it. Your reps that are going in, they're pecking away. They're not asking for 45 minutes on a first date, guys. Thinking 10 minutes is magic. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're, you're dropping a card with a smile and you're asking for the best day and time to come back. I, th this is a repetitive effort driven thing. But Eddie, I appreciate you driving home how little time and bandwidth they're going to get because if they hand a bunch of studies, four or five, six studies to a doctor, that's not going to get read. Right. You know, chart notes for review are likely going to get stamped and put in the patient's chart. You know, some, something to your point, like mark your registry and three or four take home bullet points about last quarter's subset of patients. And if you'd like to chat, here's my cell phone number, shoot me a text. Like, you know, something along those lines that is informal and the ability to communicate. So we, we actually have a four, a four slide deck to talk about precision oral appliance therapy and success. And then the, the dentist could put his registry alongside that so that you could have a five, a five slide deck that could take four or five minutes. So if you've got just somebody standing at the counter, you've got a very brief period of their time. You have an opportunity to have an impact on them. Yep. Yeah. You know, it, it, the only thing I would add to that, I, it just made me think of this one. Uh, I was getting my uh, MBA at SUNY Binghamton. I took a course in communications and um, it was a um, uh, short course. I think we had uh, three or four, four hour sessions, you know, mm -hmm. and one of the things that this professor said is less is better than more. And what is the single take-home message that when a person listens to you, categorically, they will understand it. And what did this guy say? And, you know, I know that I've violated that many times with lectures. Mark and will laugh about this, how many different slides and, and uh, you know, <laughs> studies you show and all sorts of things you go through. And the reality is, is that the attention span is limited. If you look at a lecture, for instance, in a 50-minute lecture, you're probably best having about 25 or 30 minutes worth of uh, material. And then taking the time to engage the audience 
So now you have a situation where you're going to see a physician, short attention span, and you need to have one, two, or three points that there's no way they can, uh, when you leave, that they do not understand what that point is, you know? And I think the only way to do that is to be very concise to the point. And, um, you know, if we have a deck with five slides, that's beautiful. That's perfect. Because you can go through five slides if you're given the opportunity and easily under 10 minutes, I would think. Yep. So if I could bring on Eddie just a little bit at our pro sleep conference last year, <laughs> um, he got up there with no slides because of a time constraint and talked for 40 minutes with no slides. And the audience was mesmerized. Uh, and he made three or four or five salient points. Um, so to, to his credit, uh, what he's talking about is something he can absolutely deliver on. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, so this was not planned, but Charles Mingus <laughs> quote, uh, making the simple complicated is commonplace, making the complicated, simple, awesomely simple. That's creativity. It's, it's our job. It's our job to digest in order to create these relationships. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, we're at five fifty. Five fifty. my time. It's eight fifty. You guys are like, that was a long time ago, man. Like, I don't know. What Why are you money? About. Uh, we, we got 10 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to ask off the, off the question track here. Let's sum it up into one point. Eddie, what is the single thing that a dentist can do that will have the greatest impact on their local physician relationships? And Mark, just since you need more study time, your same question is coming your way after Eddie. <laughs> I need more study time. Since what, when? What's the single thing the dentist can tell the physician? Is that the question? Uh, single thing that they can do. He's, he's, just, he's just saying that to buy more time. I'm I just know. Just, you know. He's just buying more time. Don't fall for that shit. You Do know, not fall for that shit. That's like, that's like in radiology in the old days, you would take a film. You know, and uh, you'd ask, you'd, you'd go into the radiology department. Now, of course, it's all digital. And they'd say, well, let me bright light it. Bright light it is they take that film and put it over a super bright light. And I said, the only way that guy's doing that is he needs more time because <laughs> he doesn't know what the x-ray shows. Uh, that's a tough question. I would say um, oral appliances work great. And here's the proof. Here it is. That was way more succinct than I expected, man. <laughs> okay. They work great, and here's why. Yeah, I mean, and then you show a card, and uh, maybe you have three, four bulleted items. Mild, moderate, severe, efficacy, boom, done, and picture of it. Why don't you try it? Yep. Cool. Guys, if you're if you're still on this webinar right now, uh, you need to write this stuff down. I'm just saying. You do. Put it on your iPhone, write it down. Yeah. All right, Mark. No pressure. No, I I um I, I think Eddie is right on. And and the and just so I don't say the same thing and sound stupid, um, which I'm gonna sound stupid anyhow. I would say that the single most important thing is um having successful outcomes with your patients. And so 
if if you can say to a physician, you know, Mrs. Jones that we treated together, and I made normal clients for, here's her outcomes, so that there's a, a specific success story that that physician can put in his mind, yeah. and she can relate to what happened to that particular patient. That becomes pretty powerful, uh, especially because most of those patients, not all of them, but the vast majority are CPAP intolerant, CPAP failure, CPAP refusal patients, or they're mild and moderates. So when you say, you remember Mrs. Jones and Mr. Smith? Yeah, we had an incredible outcome. Um, here, here's what the results were. That's pretty powerful. Yep. Yeah, I I would agree with both of you guys. Yeah, uh, you have to. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be shorter. I don't even need a sentence. I just need two words. Thick skin. <laughs> I mean, right. Is it worth it or not? I mean, look, this isn't junior high school, right? We, for, for those of you dentists that are on here that are married, like Mark, you, 45 years with your wife. We were talking about that earlier tonight. Like, were. That's amazing. Okay. You're, you're not going out there wondering what somebody thinks about you on a first date. And you're not hyper-focusing on the thing that you said and what that made them feel. Guys, you're dating again. You are professionally dating. And when you go from a general dentistry practice to a DSM practice or a DSM mindset, you just shifted from being a dentist who's farming their own land to becoming a specialist who receives referrals. Eddie said this earlier, DSM only practices receive referrals. Are you set up for that? Are you doing that? And if you're going out to get these new physician relationships, like we got to have thick skin. I mean, don't get brokenhearted when somebody doesn't get it the first time or the 15th time, because usually the ones that are hardest to win are the most valuable relationships long-term. Absolutely. Because everybody else quits at call number three. Uh, 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 Michael, you're, you're so right. I'll tell you how worthwhile that effort is. Um, we do about 200,000 oral appliances in North America on an annual basis, 200,000. And yet um, there's about 6 million CPAP placements. So if we were to shift um, the CPAP prescribers just a 10% towards oral appliance therapy, that would be 600,000 more oral appliances. That would be seven times the market that we see today, six times the market we see. It's crazy to think about that. We need more people doing more work, guys. We do. That's that's the take home there. You know, one of the things I would just throw in here is that uh, Inspire uh, spending $100 million last year for marketing and advertising has created tremendous awareness. And um, I think it's it, it just totally baffles me. I guess it shouldn't. But when a patient comes in to see me who is a CPAP failure, they didn't want to have Inspire, but they had no idea an oral appliance existed. And, yep. you know, we, we have a market awareness problem. We, we can't spend in the industry $100 million to market and advertise. But we suffer from this awareness uh, um, uh, perception. Uh, and a lot of people don't know, patients mm-hmm. don't know the option of an oral appliance exists. And so I guess um, people practicing dental sleep medicine, dentists uh, trying to grow their practice, they do need a thick skin. They have to go outside their comfort zone. They have to uh, know what they're doing, you know, have good knowledge of the field. And um, they can't uh, be upset when, you know, the first 28 times they go to that physician's office. Right. <laughs> they 
don't get a referral because maybe on the 29th they will. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm exaggerating, but the point is that you, you got to keep grinding it out. You do. Yep. Bingo. Keep grinding, guys. We're you're <laughs> doing good work. Keep learning. Keep grinding. Keep getting after it with these MDs. Because there's some out there like Eddie that already believe in this. They just don't know you exist. That's true. That, that will Aren't happen. You? Like a broken clock twice. A, it'll happen twice a year. <laughs> if you go out there and hit it, you're going to find people like that. They just need to know that you exist. And then you're going to find really resistant. Like, that's fine. But you're not needing validation by someone who just met you on your program. Own your program. Set it up right. Do good work. Have a registry. You know your stuff works. You guys got it. All right. We got one more question from Terry. Uh, We're going to cap out the hour with Terry's question. Any advice on working with PCPs? rather than sleep specialists. I have tons of opinions on this, but I want to hear what you guys say first, if you're all right with that. Uh, yeah, uh, I think working with PCPs is a, is a great way to build your practice. Um, the challenge is a lot of PCPs, again, are busy, you know, and um, uh, if you're asking them to screen the patients, uh, that may be a little bit difficult uh, in the sense that, they have so many things to do in an office visit. I know there are um, different uh, ways where people have put uh, an employee uh, in the PCP's office and, and screen patients. Uh, there's a model uh, like that that works. Um, but I think you know big PCP practices, I mean, they're seeing a big volume of patients. And as to the exact um, operational way that you deploy that, um, I would defer that to you, uh, Mike, but I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a great avenue because of the volume of patients seen. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the PCPs, they want these things taken care of. You got to make it easy for them. If they got to refer the patient to a sleep physician and back and forth and stuff like that, that's a road to uh, um, uh, trouble, I think. So uh, engaging them and getting them to refer patients, uh, I guess the issue is going to be they can order sleep studies and you could work directly with them. Uh, So there's different models that have been, uh, you know, um, utilized throughout the country. Yep. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, I've seen a model where uh, dentists have successfully placed a sleep consultant in their salary into a PCP practice. So they can do some screening and testing and the PCP can pick up some revenue from the testing. And then the the results of those tests result in um, some going to CPAP and some going to oral appliance therapy and feeding those back, of course, to the original office. Um, I've seen that model work successfully for some practitioners that that are good good doctors of ours. Yeah. And I, I, guys, my my last cap to that would be know your audience. You know, these, these guys just endorsed a model that is, I mean, I, I've been in sleep medicine for 20 years. I came from the medical side running sleep centers. That, this, that, that model of putting screeners in PCP offices to offload the work and allow them to capture some model. testing, man, this is, is a, as long as the day is, right? I mean, that's been going on. It's but, the third oldest, I think it's the third oldest profession. Third oldest <laughs> profession. <laughs> Well, but you know, that doesn't work in a corporate 
medical environment. If you try to place a your employee on your staff in someone else's office that's owned by a national hospital center, that ain't going to happen. So know your audience. And what these guys said, yeah, that model works. Primary care offices, busy practices, doctor owns it. I think ultimately, again, it comes back to know your audience, serve them first. You guys will treat more patients and have some thick skin doing it. But just get out there. You don't have to be perfect. Get out there. Your success is not measured in millimeters. So anyway, all right, guys, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, any last Thanks. parting words, experts of two weeks? <laughs> grandkids no. rule. That's all I got to tell you. Grandkids, grandkids rule. rule. Get after <laughs> it, man. Mark, Eddie, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for your time tonight. And everybody yeah, else. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us uh, hang out with you tonight for an hour. The CE link is in the chat. You will also get an email within an hour. If you don't see it in your inbox, it's in your spam folder. I promise, or I'll send you a $5 Amazon gift card. Email me. <laughs> so if I don't get one, I get an Amazon gift card? Probably not. No, that's not. A, you're you're excluded from yeah. almost all things, Mark. <laughs> Roger that. Thanks, Michael. Uh, Eddie, good talking to you, man. Nice yeah. talking to you. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this webinar. If you'd like more information on dental sleep medicine education, coaching, or home sleep testing services, please feel free to reach out to us at awakenasleep.com forward slash edu or at info at awaken2sleep.com. Thank you and have a great day.